Perfect. All right, time for another. Man, there's so many of these interesting teams. I, I say, oh, I'm really interested in this team for every one of these. But with so many changes across the league, that's the case. And the Cleveland Cavaliers certainly fall into that category, being a team that I would love to discuss, especially now that they have Dwayne Wade and we're going to get bring in Chris Fedor uh, from the Cleveland Plain Dealer to discuss that. But first, I want to remind you that we're sponsored today by Lyft. Go to lyft.com slash capspace and you can get a $500 new driver bonus and also by our friends at helix sleep helixsleep.com slash cap space is your url to get fifty dollars off your custom made mattress what's up chris how are you nate i'm doing great man how are you i'm doing well too i'm really excited to get the season started see all these new faces (laughs) in new places and obviously the cleveland cavaliers are a much different team talking about how good they were last year is maybe not as instructive but what i did want to talk about is just what they were as a defensive team Mm. and whether you think that you know that was i thought was their big bottleneck during the regular season they looked a little better in the east they didn't face any really just devastating offenses especially once isaiah thomas went down and then of course they couldn't stop the warriors nobody can really it seems like but do they feel like their defense can be better this season I think they do, Nate. Um, and I think it's part because of a new attitude that they're going to have. Maybe they're going to focus more on the regular season, trying to implement some things defensively that they would hold till the end of the season or maybe even into the playoffs. Head coach Ty Lue. Yeah, I, re- said, I remember that last yeah. year. They were like, oh, yeah, we've got these this secret <laughs> plan, which I guess was just they were going to switch more. Right. Uh, I mean, was there anything to it, more to it than that that you were able to determine? I think it was a combination of blitzing, switching, and also they used LeBron in this Romer role, the free safety role that they really liked him in. So in the first round against Indiana, they put him on Monte Ellis and everybody was like, what in the world? <laughs> I think on Monte Ellis, I thought the X factor was CJ Miles. I thought he was going to be on Paul George, but uh, the Cavs felt comfortable enough with J.R. Smith as a perimeter defender, putting him on Paul George so that they could use LeBron and say, okay, maybe um, he's not going to have to shut somebody down this series, or maybe we're not going to gas him on the defensive end, but we're going to allow him to roam around. We're going to let him play the passing lanes and we're going to let him use his speed, his athleticism and his smarts to cover up for the weaknesses that we have on defense because know that we're going to have some issues defensively with every team that we play against. So they had some things in their back pocket, Nate, that they felt like um, could be good for them in a postseason series. And I think based on the way that things went in the NBA Finals against Warriors, and I think after reflecting back on the season and realizing that a lot of their bad habit showed up um, on the game's biggest stage, they might have to not hold as much and they might have to start working on those things more earlier in the regular season throughout the regular season um, so that they're better equipped to be um, a better defensive team more consistently than what they were last year. But they also feel like the personnel additions that they brought here to the team, especially Jake Crowder, who they call an analytic marvel, somebody who just contributes to winning at a very high level, they <laughs> feel like him being um, somebody that they can put on the best three or four of the other team and J.R. Smith being somebody that they can put on the best um, uh, guard that is on the other team that uh, they'll be a better defensive team only time will tell because they don't have rim protection in the starting lineup yeah I think and LeBron if he's going to be a rumor now that they have Crowder that works a lot better right because the big problem in the finals was they didn't have anybody who could guard Kevin Durant and Richard Jefferson who was over his head in the 2016 
2018 finals and did not look good in the 2017 finals was really the best they had so now that they can bring LeBron back to that role he can maybe guard Draymond Green on that Warriors team and I'm in total agreement with you that they need to just get into better habits earlier in the year and maybe with Kyrie Irving gone they can do more of that I mean it's good LeBron it sets the tone himself as well I mean I think his effort during the regular season last year was was pretty poor that didn't help very much either and love tries but you know he's limited physically uh but yeah I mean I, I think that's definitely true and that perhaps even in 2016 they were lulled into a false sense of yep. security by the fact that they won that series they came back from 3-1 not realizing like oh yeah by the way they got this team Steph Curry was injured and they yep. got Kevin Durant and so it was it, they're gonna be a lot better and so they felt hey you know we beat them last year we'll beat them again this year without realizing like hey we got to get to an even higher level yep. as opposed to just like ah you know we'll turn it on when we get there and they were able to turn it on in the east playoffs but it didn't work as well in the finals especially in those first two games you know i felt they competed a lot better over the last three but those first two games again like they they can't afford to just give a team a 2-0 lead in a series before they're going to start trying yeah i mean i think at the end of the day nate that was the difference between the Cavs and the warriors and i think you can go through a lot of the things that were different for golden state from 2016 to 2017 and the obvious one beyond the health of steph curry was the fact that they had kevin durant and the Cavs didn't have an answer for him but um as good as the Cavs offense was during the regular season and the eastern conference playoffs and at times against the warriors the difference between the two teams was always the fact that yes they had great offenses but one of the teams also had a great defense and the Cavs didn't and i think they fell into a false sense of security like you said not just in the 2016 finals but in the eastern conference playoffs as well like sticking their chest out saying oh yeah see we had these things in our back pocket we can flip the switch we said we were going to flip the switch we said we were going to be better defensively when we could lock into one opponent but the dirty little secret is that they were playing against indiana toronto and boston and at some point who you are in the regular season um that's going to show up when the pressure hits them up and i kept telling a lot of fans and said okay uh you can talk about this this new defense that you're seeing in the eastern conference playoff but in the nba finals it's going to be against the warriors uh it's not going to be against the Avery Bradley-led Boston Celtics. Not going to be against Toronto that has, you know, Kyle Lowry a little less than 100%, not fully in rhythm at that point. Um, so I felt like a lot of the things that, that people were hanging on to with the Cavs, oh, they can do this, or oh, they've got all this talent. Um, eventually, uh, a great team on your level is going to unmask your flaws. And the Warriors have the ability to unmask flaws better than any team in the NBA. And I think when the Cavs evaluated everything uh, that happened in the NBA Finals, and a lot of the players didn't even want to go back and watch Game 3 because they felt like that was the one that got away. But the other people in the front office said, um, you know, the Warriors were clearly the better team, and they showed us uh, some of the things that we did in the regular season uh, probably came back to bite us in, in the most important series. So we have to make sure that that doesn't happen again this year. All right, let's take a quick break here, and we'll be right back with more uh, from Chris Fedor right after this. So I'm excited to say that we actually are in escrow right now on a new house and it's actually going to have a guest bedroom which means i need another mattress and it's going to be a helix sleep mattress there's no question about that there are a ton of online mattress 
e-commerce retailers popping up with a one-size-fits-all solution. Two years ago, my now fiance and I tried that one-size-fits-all solution, uh, and I guess I'm not part of all because it didn't fit for me at all. At Helix Sleep, they give you something that doesn't exist anywhere else. It's a mattress personalized to your unique preferences and sleeping style that won't set you back for thousands of dollars. The way you get started with them is go to helixsleep.com slash capspace, and you take their two to three minute sleep quiz. It'll ask you, do you toss and turn? Do you sleep too hot? Do you sleep too cool? Do you sleep on your back? Do you sleep on your side? If you and your significant other have different answers to those questions, you can even get one that is split between two sides, individualized to your specific comfort. So you fill out that questionnaire and your custom mattress arrives direct to your door in a week with free shipping. You don't have to worry that it might not be what you wanted either because you get to try it for 100 nights. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you in full. So once again, the way to get started with them, helixsleep.com slash capspace right now and you get $50 towards your custom mattress and of course let them know that you came from us as well using that slash cap space url which is easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time on the program that's helixsleep.com slash cap space for $50 off your order and you can sleep as well as i do every night so chris now we got to talk about how all these new additions are going to fit in and it's funny because with isaiah thomas being out now until january which really you know was not something that i think people realized would be the case until training camp started they announced it i mean it, it you started to feel that way when there was all this controversy about his hip and you know was he going to be able to play or not and adding some more assets to that trade which i thought was never really realistic frankly because the Cavs are already getting a great deal uh but we've kind of forgotten about him I, I guess the place to start though is just you know temporarily they've added Dwayne wade now yep. they've added jay crowder Jetty Osmond as well we'll talk about too but how is it going to look now this starting line because especially now that they're going with love at center what do you expect to see from these starters how is that all going to work well Nate, I think the interesting thing is that Ty will just not reveal who his starting shooting guard is going to be um and and I think that remains the the biggest question going into the regular season would he be willing um to take a guy like Dwayne Wade with his resume with his championship and say and we need you to come off the bench we need you to anchor our second unit we're going to stick with J.R. Smith he's been a starter for us basically since the time that he came from the New York Knicks in a trade in 2015 uh, he's our best perimeter defender uh, that we want to use on those kinds of scores <laughs> and and he spaces the floor and knocks down outside shots in a way that um, our backcourt can't now because Derrick Rose is the starting point guard instead of Kyrie so um, I think the starting lineup is going to end up being Rose J.R. Smith, LeBron, Jay Crowder, and Kevin Love, because uh, so much of what the Cavs have done um, since building this thing when LeBron came back was let's try and surround him with as much shooting as possible. Let's try and open the floor as much as possible. Let's try and be as versatile as possible. And I feel like if your starting backcourt is Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade, you're putting restrictions on what your offense can do, and uh, you're creating space problems that um, you simply don't want, especially on a team led by LeBron. So uh, for me, everything for the Cavs seems to be geared towards offense and three-pointers. And if they started Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade, that would be going against their entire philosophy. 
Yeah, that is interesting. And I think you could view it one of two ways, right? You could say, hey, you know what? If they're going to move Love to center, yep. they're doing that because they know they're not going to have enough shooting with uh, Thomas, or, or I'm sorry, with Rose and, and Wade out there together. Uh, but I think, you know, I'm a little more inclined to agree with you. I mean, you're, you've got the boots on the ground there and you don't know so of how it's going to work. And I think it's smart to bring Wade off the bench now yeah. as opposed to, oh, let's wait. And then when Isaiah Thomas comes back, well, then we'll shift him to the bench if you just say hey that's what the expectation is going to be for the whole year because i think wade also thomas is a good shooter but he's also someone who has to have the ball in right. his hands and wade uh is going to crimp up his spacing so i think it's better now wade of course didn't really succeed in that bench role in chicago as the leader of the second unit you know that those second units were really bad but he'll yep. have more talent around him now in cleveland but what do you think of the idea of starting love at center instead of tristan thompson I mean, to me, it's this is one of those things where Lou, he always, when the chips are down, he always goes with offense, right? Yep. When his team would be down, he'd throw in Kyle Korver. He'd go to love at center, you know, in some of those Warriors games too. And you just, you don't have a prayer of stopping Golden State, I don't think, if you have Kevin Love at center, even if you have some other stuff around, because you can always put him into a pick and roll. Then again, you know, you'd think that Kevin Love even being on the team is a very difficult matchup against Golden State. Yep. So I think Thompson, to me, always seemed like someone who has to be a part of what they're doing defensively i mean and it's all about the warriors i mean that's why i forgive me for obsessing about that but i think that's that's who they're really worried about uh so you know is minimizing his role like what do you think of them doing that well i think offensively it makes so much sense nate um but i think it raises numerous questions defensively so um with that i think you have to say that it's an enormous risk and i think ty understands the risk of doing this and i think that's why um he would go to kevin and spurt kevin at center and spurt but he just was not comfortable to go with it full time and i think it's because he knows that he loses so much defensively um now this year i think it helps him that he has jay crowder um a guy who's known for his tough defense and he feels like okay because he's out there uh, maybe i've got somebody a little bit better defensively and maybe i don't need tristan thompson as much but but the bottom line is when the Cavs went with kevin love at center um in the regular season and in the postseason especially in the postseason they're offense was completely unstoppable. Their offensive rating in the postseason with Kevin at center was 123, which if you put that in perspective, the Warriors in the regular season, and it was a blistering offense. It was one of the best in NBA history. Their offensive rating was 113, I think, 0.9. So the Cavs in the playoffs had an offensive rating 123 with Kevin at center. So I think that tells you what they're capable of doing with his floor spacing and his outside shooting. They buried Boston that way. Two years ago, they buried Atlanta that way. And it's just really, really difficult for a big man to want to go out to the three-point line. He's used to being camped in the paint, and now he has to go out to the three-point line to guard Kevin. Um, and if he does do that, then all of a sudden the lane opens up for LeBron to drive, for Derrick Rose to drive, uh, maybe for Dwayne Wade to drive if he gets put into that rotation as well. So um, it's very beneficial for the Cavs offensively to have Kevin at center, especially because if, if the starting lineup would have been Derrick Rose and Tristan Thompson, now you're talking about two guys that opponents just don't have to honor out to the three-point line and I think it's hard it's hard in the NBA to have that kind of lineup especially nowadays Um, but defensively you're right Nate Tristan Thompson was the best rim protector
protector that the Cavs had. You can argue that he was the only rim protector that they had coming into the season. And the numbers show it. With Tristan in, in the paint at center, um, he ranked 28 uh, in terms of all guys qualified at that spot for opponent field goal percentage with Tristan at the rim. With Kevin Love at center, he was 60th. Um, so there's a big, big, big risk here with not having enough rim protection with Kevin Love being the center because he's somebody who is going to take charges. He's going to try and move his feet when he gets posted up, um, but he's not going to play above the rim. Um, so it puts a lot of pressure on Derrick Rose, not a great perimeter defender. It puts a lot of cre- uh, pressure on Jake Crowder, LeBron James, and J.R. Smith to keep those guys from getting inside because they just don't have that last line of defense in Tristan Thompson. And they don't, they're probably not going to be able uh, to get as many second chance opportunities offensively either because Kevin's going to be out to the three point line most nights. And Tristan Thompson's one of the best offense rebounders in the NBA. So I think it's going to take them time. I think it's going to be a work in progress. And I think they're just going to have to live with the deficiencies that they're going to have defensively with Kevin at center. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't want to criticize them too much because those lineups, as you mentioned, just have completely blitzed basically everyone except yep. Golden State. Golden right. State and even Golden State, like unless they play Draymond Green at center, they can't deal with those lineups either. You know, yep. so and Thompson, you mentioned his rim protection. I mean, I think he's, you know, really pretty average there, but, you know, better than anyone else they have. And then his ability to move his feet and switch and contain penetration, you know, is well above where Kevin Love is at. Also, um, you know, I, I think the next question then is where is the, the health of Isaiah Thomas when he comes back? How's he going to fit in uh, to what they're trying to do? I think the scariest answer here, Nate, is that nobody knows. Nobody knows yeah. when Isaiah is going to come back exactly. Now, the Cavs have what they believe is an initial timeline and they sent it out and they said they're hopeful that he comes back by the end of this calendar year. Um, but then they don't know for sure. Uh, maybe he has a setback. Um, and then I think the other question becomes because there's a difference between um, being available and being effective. So I don't think Isaiah knows. Sure. I don't think the Cavs know. I don't think the Cavs doctors know how effective he's going to be when he actually comes back. Can he be the guy that was the third leading scorer in the NBA? Can he be the guy that was an all NBA player? Can he be the guy that was in the MVP conversation? Um, not only from a health standpoint, because we're talking about somebody who's got a hip injury and his game is so predicated on stop, start, speed, quickness, explosiveness, but you're talking about somebody who was used so well by Brad Stevens in Boston, an offensive mastermind, and now he's coming into a different system. He's probably not going to have the ball in his hands as much because of LeBron James, and he's probably going to come back midway through the season after the Cavs had spent two months, three months building chemistry, building up this new starting lineup. So for Isaiah, it's the hip, it's a new coach, it's a new system, it's new teammates, and it's doing it midway through the season. And the Cavs always talked about last year, Nate, just how much it took them um, time to figure out, how are we going to use Kyle Korver? How do we best maximize the things that he can do because he came midway through the season and there wasn't a lot of practice time and the schedule was really, really tight. So all those things are going to have to happen with Isaiah. And I think that that raises so many questions about what the Cavs can actually get from him this year. And then you go into the playoffs and then you talk about him being a defensive liability and all those other things just become highlighted even more. So um, it's an interesting spot that the Cavs are in when it comes to Isaiah. And I think it's part of the reason why 
Uh, they've tried to focus so much on Jay Crowder and what he brings and how excited they are about that Brooklyn pick um, because if, if they were to make this trade all about Isaiah and that's how they sold it, um, it would raise more questions. You know, it's concerning to me because he didn't have surgery, this timeline issue, right? Where yep. if he had the surgery, then you say, okay, you know, usually guys take this long to come back from surgery. Your muscles get weak. You got to rehab. But this is usually how long it takes. But the idea that he was going to, oh, he avoided surgery now he's gonna have to do a bunch of rehab but it's difficult to know when enough rehab is enough if he's not there yet but there wasn't i mean how how long are you taking where you're just basically like strengthening it and yeah. resting like how does that really have that much of greater of an effect over eight months as opposed to six months so it does seem like an extremely nebulous timeline for that reason when you know it doesn't seem like whatever the initial problem was was fixed and so you know he's obviously going to be in a contract year he's going to try to play play as well as he can and, and get out there by the playoffs and you think all right it doesn't really matter until the last couple months of the regular season and the playoffs for this team we've seen that mm-hmm. the regular season doesn't matter as much for this group um but yeah and then you mentioned him being a defensive liability i actually think just in general he's probably better than Kyrie. He's maybe not better than a trying Kyrie, but you know, <laughs> I've, I've, Kyrie might be one of the worst players i've ever seen at, like yeah. trying to get over a screen uh and, and you know he tries 10 percent of the time even in the finals so it's i mean i think he could be a little bit better than Kyrie, but you know it could it wouldn't shock me if their best lineups in the playoffs are ones that don't necessarily include him yes you know if he plays like he played last year yeah he should obviously be out there but there's no guarantee of that i mean that was way above his previous level anyway so and it's so funny too nate it's so funny too that you bring that up because i remember having conversations with a number of players with the Cavs and a number of front office members with the Cavs as they were about to go into the playoffs Okay, which teams are you worried about? Which teams do you think match up best against you guys? And I didn't put names to it because obviously they didn't want this out there with their name attached to it. But if you rank the Eastern Conference team, Boston was like fifth on that list for a lot of players and a lot of front office members. And it's because they didn't feel like Isaiah could beat them in a postseason series. They felt like guys like Paul George and Jimmy Butler um, and DeMar DeRozan, those kinds of guys shift playoff series in a way that five foot nine defense defensive liability Isaiah Thomas couldn't. So they were looking at Milwaukee and they were looking at Toronto and they were looking at the Washington Wizards and all these other teams before you got to Boston. And all those things that the Cavs pointed out about Isaiah, they were true. You can take him out of series. Either you go at him defensively or you just throw a second body at him and you try and get the ball out of his hand. And and that's how the Cavs felt about Isaiah. And, and now I think it's very interesting that there's potential that the tables are turned against them in a playoff series if Isaiah comes back and he can be effective. Now it's going to be different because he's playing alongside LeBron and playing alongside Kevin Love and suddenly the defense can't put as as much attention and focus on Isaiah. Um, But for the Cavs to have that view of him last year going into the postseason um, and the fact that they know that that's how to approach that sort of thing. um, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how they try and counter uh, some of those things when it comes to the realities of dealing with Isaiah. The good news for the Cavs if you're trying to hang on to anything, Nate, is the fact that you are getting an ultra-motivated Isaiah uh, because of everything that happened in Boston, because he wants a max contract, because he wants to prove people wrong coming back from this injury and show that he's quote-unquote not damaged good. So that's something that they're hanging on to. Yeah, and last point on that too, you mentioned how he was used under Brad Stevens. And one thing that people don't realize about the Cavs is they don't really run that much intricate stuff. They don't try to move the ball side to side and really probe the defense. They just say, hey, you know what? We're going to... Pr- 
put a lot of shooting around great players and go ahead and try and stop them you know in a pick and roll or or in the post or in an iso and then you know they'll have a few sets that they'll run after timeouts that work pretty well if they have a that nice back screen set that killed toronto two years ago in the finals and but they're not running like great offense on a possession to possession basis all right so the next question i want to ask you here about the rotation let me give you a, a list of these names of wings that we haven't really discussed yet <laughs> yeah and, and you tell me who do you th- like rank them in order who you think is going to play the most so okay. cal corver iman Shumpert, richard jefferson chetty osman jeff green uh, so the interesting thing here, Nate, is that Ty Lu said all of last year that the number that he's comfortable with when it comes to his rotation is 10. I don't know why that is, but every coach has a different comfort level. And for Ty, it's hockey lineups, basically. We'll go with the first five, yeah. then we'll go with the next five. And it's 10. And it, he didn't often play 11, and he didn't often play 12. And I think you can make an argument that the Cavs are deeper this year than last year's team, and there's probably 11, 12 yeah. guys that you could say, hey, this guy probably deserves a minute. Um, um, but the Cavs are so deep that that's probably not going to happen. So if I'm ranking that um, based on everything that's happening in practice, Amon Shumpert has a spot with the second unit. Kyle Korver has a spot with second unit. And Jeff Green seems to have a spot with the second unit as well. And that leaves Richard Jefferson on the outside looking in. Um, and it certainly leaves uh, Jetty Osman on the outside looking in as well. Um, and I think they see Jetty as a young developmental guy. I asked Ty earlier today, actually, what is his role? He basically said um, he doesn't know if, if Ty, and I'm paraphrasing, he doesn't know if Jetty is actually going to have a role um, throughout the season, but he's got to be ready and he's got to be uh, somebody who's working behind the scenes and they're developing behind the scenes. So he would be probably 13, 14th in terms of their 15 guys. And then I think the decision on RJ is going to be fascinating, Nate, because he's so important behind the scenes. Um, while he can't guard Kevin Durant, and I understand that he's the kind of player that at least the Cavs can use against him. Um, and whether he's effective or not is a whole different question. But they just didn't have enough body to throw at Kevin Durant last year in the NBA Finals. So having as many of those guys as possible to throw at Durant, I think it's important for the Cavs. Um, but he might not make this team. They have one one spot that they have to clear so that they can get down to 15 guaranteed contracts. Right now they're at 16. Um, and Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye, Amon Shumpert, Jose Calderon. I think they're all battling for that final spot and see who's going to be here um, on this roster when October 17th actually tips off. Yeah. Is the assumption that Kate Felder is out for sure? Oh, I would think so, unless he gets that, that yeah. two-way contract from the G League. It's it's yeah. probably Kay or Eddie Tavares who gets that two-way contract. Yeah, so so you're assuming those guys are out for sure, and then you're really, you're, yeah, yeah I mean, to me, if it's up to me, Jose Calderon is clearly the guy that should go there i mean he's he's unplayable against golden state uh they have plenty of guys with uh, with point guard skills you could always bring in a guy easily who has the same type of skill level as him anyway i mean i know he has a guaranteed contract but uh obviously the wade acquisition and the thomas yep. trade and all that you know they didn't realize that was going to happen at the time that they signed him uh and hey you know uh teams that sign jose calderon only to immediately waive him uh <laughs> you know are one for one in the last uh the last year and getting the nba championship and, and- I thought the same way as you did. I said, okay, this is a no-brainer. You know, RJ's big for the locker room. He's a versatile wing. It's all about versatility. He can knock down outside shots. He can play the four. He can play the three. Um, and, and maybe he can give some minutes when you want to lower LeBron's minutes throughout the regular season. And that's what I was thinking. I said, 
this is a no-brainer. It's going to be Calderon. They have so many different guys that can handle the ball. LeBron can run the second unit. Dwayne Wade can run the second unit. But the more and more I talk to people on the coaching staff, the more and more they, they talk about Jose Calderon and how much they like him. He's a veteran guy, uh, nothing too big for him. He understands how to run an offense. He's not going to make too many mistakes. He's not going to make too many plays either. But just that steady guy that they did not have last year. And, and this coaching staff likes Jose Calderon. So the more and more I talk to them, the more I think that he might actually stick around. Yeah, that, that would be interesting to see. Uh, definitely wouldn't necessarily be the direction that I would go in. Um, how's Derek Rose looking? It, you know, he people forget he was healthy most of the year, but then he had a, another right. surgery on his knee. Is he 100% full go right now? I don't know if he's 100% necessarily. I don't know. Can he ever be 100% after all those injuries? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as close as he, I mean, but like no restrictions or any, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah, he doesn't have restrictions right now. He actually leaned down over the summer. He did a lot of two-a-days working out in Los Angeles, and uh, he did that about three, four days a week. He said that he used to play at 210, and now he's down to 197. And there are people inside the Cavs that believe because he leaned down, it has taken pressure off of his knees. And Derek actually talked about that recently, saying, I don't feel the aches and pains as much because I'm not carrying that extra 13 to 15 pounds. So we'll see. We'll see if that lasts throughout the regular season, and we'll see if that really does make a difference. Um, but he's got a new attitude. Most importantly, everybody that has talked about Derek, the people that watched him play with Chicago back in the day, the people that watched him play with the Knicks, they said he just seems happier, and he's got this new attitude. And I think being around winning, being in this organization around teammates uh, that can help him out, space the floor for him, take him from getting so many double teams that he said he got last year with the New York Knicks, those kinds of things have given him a free mind and helped him out um, in a way that I think is visible when you just talk to him and you watch him work. Um, and the Cavs believe that he is showing the, the speed and the explosiveness that allowed him to get to the basket and score 10 points per game in the paint against the Knicks. Um, so the Cavs are excited about what he can bring. And I think they're realistic about the fact that he's not going to be MVP Derrick Rose, but he's showing signs of being somebody. They viewed him as a backup point guard. They signed him to be the backup point guard to Kyrie. That's, yeah. that's what they were thinking. But but I think they've seen signs recently that they can get by with him as starting point guard, and that makes them excited. Yeah, and I think that he, this will be by far the team with the most spacing he's ever played on, especially with Love at center, especially if Wade doesn't start, that will really put him in a, in a position to succeed. And then Wade, in theory, on the second unit when Rose is out of the game, they won't need him to play too many minutes either because they have plenty of other playmaking options. And Rose, one of his big limitations, he's not really a great passer. And despite the fact that he's like, oh, he always says like, oh, I want to get back to being my pure point guard roots. Yep. What that ends up being is he just stands at the top of the key and just throws it to somebody. You know, that's what he views it like. He's not really able to, once he gets into the pick and roll, he's not really a great passer. I mean, he can find weak side shooters now and again, but he's not very good at finding the roll man. Uh, but, and he also can get to the rim, but he's not a good finisher at the rim against a contest. But now with all this space, he's not going to be contested as much. So he's definitely being put in a great position to succeed. It's just a, and I think he can be relatively effective when he's out there on offense defense is another question he has the tools in theory but really has been an awful defender since he came back from the ACL was yeah. pretty good before then uh and then you know he's not going to need to play as many minutes which would be good but there's always just the risk that he's going to suffer another meniscus tear or something and and just miss time yeah I mean there's always that there's no question about that um it's interesting that you bring up the passing too because it's funny when we have conversations with Derek he's like I was doing good things last year in New York nobody noticed them because we were 
losing and nobody cared about the Knicks. So he seems to believe that that is something that he's going to be able to show this year on the Cavs. It's a wait and see thing. It's only been one preseason game. They've only had one scrimmage. But Ty Lue, we asked him the other day, Nate, we said, what's the thing that you didn't know about Derrick Rose before that you've gotten to see now that he's actually here in practice and you see him on a daily basis? You know what he said? He said he's a better passer than I ever thought he was. So they're seeing some hmm. things. I don't know what it is, but they're seeing some things in practice that make them believe that you're going to see some traits from Derek that he hasn't been able to show in recent years. Um, so it'll be interesting because every time we talk to players, and it's not necessarily about Derek, they voluntarily bring his name up and single him out as a guy that they're excited about. Even when we ask a question about Kyrie, we did that early on in training camp. It shifted into Derek Rose. Even when we talked about the second unit and, and Dwayne Wade's role of running the second unit potentially because that's how he's being used in practice. It shifted into, well, really excited about Derrick Rose running the first team. And maybe that's just propping him up. Maybe that's trying to build his confidence that might have taken a hit in recent years. Um, but but the Cavs continue to speak highly of Derrick, and it's going to be something that we're going to monitor pretty much all season long. Um, because if he can outplay that contract that they gave him, the veterans minimum, I mean, that's a huge coup for the Cavs. I will get right back to their strengths and weaknesses, get our predictions for the season right after this word. Lyft knows that their drivers are what keep them moving, so they do everything they can to ensure that drivers are happy on every trip. I personally have actually used Lyft since 2013. My observations have been that their drivers are happier than those for other ride-sharing companies. With Lyft, you can earn hundreds of dollars a week plus 100% of your tips. Those add up fast. Drivers have actually been paid over $200 million since Lyft introduced in-app tipping well before any other ride-sharing platform. I always liked that more as a passenger because I really like to tip for good service. That's important to me, and that's important to other customers who choose Lyft as well. Getting tips shouldn't depend on your passenger having a crumpled bill in their pocket. Lyft also offers express pay, which lets you get paid almost instantly instead of weeks later. So if you want to earn more money, you can drive more. It's never been easier to give yourself a raise. The flexibility that Lyft allows is something that you're not going to find elsewhere. If you have a couple of hours, you can make some money. If you want to work in a traditional job, you're not going to have that kind of flexibility. It's a simple formula at Lyft. Happy drivers mean happy passengers. Maybe that's why nine out of 10 Lyft rides get a perfect five-star rating. So join the ride-sharing company that believes in treating its people better. Go to lyft.com slash capspace. That's an easy URL to remember. Lyft.com slash capspace. Since we talk about capspace all the time on the program, you can get a $500 new driver bonus by going to that lyft.com slash capspace URL. It also let them know that you came from us. Lyft.com slash capspace. Limited time only. Terms apply. So the last question I want to ask you actually before we get into the strengths and weaknesses is something that nobody has really been talking about. It's been considered fate accomplished still that LeBron James is the best player in the game. I think despite the fact that they lost in the finals, he was every bit as good, if not better than Steph Curry and Kevin Durant in that series. But yeah, I mean, he's because this is his age 33 season now. Like he has to start falling off <laughs> at some point. I mean, I thought last year, last year he was actually better offensively in the regular season than he had been the year before. His three-pointer started going down, even if his free throws weren't. But I mean, are there any signs of slippage? I know he had that slight sprained ankle, but he'll, he'll be fine from that like have you seen any signs of slippage in this game like when is the decline going to start it has to happen at some point could it be this year or do you feel like 
he's going to be the same guy again this year. Everybody says that, right, Nate? Eventually, this is going to be the year where he starts to decline and you start looking for things, whether it's a back injury or not getting as much height on his dunk or not being as fast yeah, around the court. Which he doesn't. I mean, he's he's fallen off, certainly, well, athletically. But, yeah. you know, in terms of, of effectiveness, I mean, he, he, he's not as good as he used to be because, I, I mean, and that is no that's not damning him in any way. I mean, it's just people forget how good he used to be. He used to be, like, even better than he is now just with his athleticism, especially on the defensive end. But, I mean, you know, he's still at the level of being a top three player at the very least. So, yeah, I mean, like, I interrupted you, so please continue. He went from being superhuman to mostly superhuman. I guess that's the way that I would describe yeah. it. I mean, I'm at a point, Nate, where I'm just done, done expecting him to start to decline, done expecting him to not get back to the NBA Finals. There are just certain dudes who defy all of the things that you were taught and all of the things that you thought for so long. I don't see any signs of it. His teammates don't see any signs of it. He's up every morning at 6 o'clock, maybe even 5.30. JR said it was very, very annoying because LeBron called him so early to wake up and actually work out when they were on the West Coast together. Um, and, and LeBron has said that he's happier this year. So I don't know what that really means and what that's going to translate to, but everybody sees the same LeBron, if not a more motivated and a happier LeBron and somebody who keeps his body ready to go so that he can play deep into June every single season. And when you have that kind of work ethic and you have um, the, those kinds of gifts that he does, the natural gifts, I mean, that's, that's a combination for longevity and, and saying, even though he's got so many miles from playing so deep into the postseason and the Olympics and how much he was used last year for the Cavs and the responsibilities that he's always had for his career. It's just this is a dude who is wired differently, built differently to defy all the things that we always thought. Yeah, it's tough because with all of these guys who start to get into the ageless category, but Paul Pierce and Ray Allen were in this category for a while too. You know, there's Dirk Davitsky, Steve Nash, and, and you know, they're good until they're not. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of what ends up happening. But, you know, it's hard to predict that any individual year is when they're going to see signs of slippage because, you know, maybe they there's only a 25% chance that this is that year for LeBron, you know, and there's, but if there's a 25% chance that it's the year for the next four years, then probably one of these next four years is going to be the one where he really noticeably slips out of being, you know, one of the absolute top players, if not the top player in the league. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you really, oh, maybe his three-point shooting might go down a little bit, but he, he improved that last year, yep. which I thought was really important. Like that's really what made him unguardable. Again, I thought there were times when he was a little bit more guardable for the absolute best teams like a Golden State where he couldn't just back the guy down and, and score on him. Uh, but, you know, there's even 10 guys in the league who can stop him from doing that even. Uh, but, you know, when you could go under on pick and roll on him, he was a little bit more stoppable, but that wasn't the case last year. Um, all right, you know, we've talked about the shooting. Any other big strengths and LeBron, the superstar talent, but any kind of under the radar strengths maybe about this team that people don't realize? Well, the thing that they've been talking about all training camp, Nate, and they kind of showed it in the first pregame, and I think you always have to put numbers in perspective, and their first preseason game was against Atlanta, and they're probably going to be one of the league's worst teams. But everybody has talked about the basketball IQ of this team and how that's probably going to translate um, to a great assist-to-turnover ratio and a great assist-to-made-field goal ratio. Last night in the first half, even without LeBron James and even without Isaiah Thomas, Nate, they had 16 made back 
basket, or they had 16 uh, assists on 18 made baskets. And according to Ty Lue, that's been a carryover from the things that are happening in practice. Um, and I think the Cavs have known for the last three years, and, and they haven't been able to do anything about it, but they have known for the last three years, Nate, that they didn't have enough playmakers. And, and that issue became even more highlighted when playing against the Warriors, who have a glut of them. Um, three years ago, I remember in the NBA Finals talking to then general manager David Griffin. He said, Chris, we didn't have enough playmakers. And then they came back into the year and he said, Chris, we don't have enough playmakers. <laughs> and then last year, they, they came back into the year and David Griffin said, Chris, we don't have enough playmakers. Uh, now they have about six yeah. or seven uh, of them. LeBron was kind enough to point that out publicly right. as well. Right. Actually. I mean, LeBron <laughs> said it. It was, it was an area of frustration for the entire organization. They had to go out and sign Darren Williams because they felt like they needed another one of those guys. And you play against the Warriors and you're like, oh my gosh, they got so many dudes that can pass, dribble, and shoot. Uh, and we just don't have enough of those guys. And and now they, they might have added the number that they would need. And who knows about Isaiah? Again, that's a big question. But Dwayne Wade's a playmaker. Derek Rose is a playmaker. Kevin Love can be a playmaker at center from the elbows. LeBron, of course, is a playmaker. If Jose Calderon runs the second unit, they view him as a guy who can pass, dribble, and shoot effectively. And he's got his warts and he's got his flaws. And he's a terrible defender, but he's somebody who can run the offense in a way that they just didn't have enough of that over the last three years and they believe that that is going to lead to and you mentioned it their offense is not really complex uh, they don't do special things necessarily it's a lot facing driving kick but they believe that because of the basketball IQ the cutters that they have now added um, and the number of playmakers that they now have on this roster that in terms of assist to made field goals uh, that's something that is going to go up this year yeah I, I think that's a, a great point another thing I would add to is just having some more depth finally uh, on the wing oh, as sure. well and 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 even at the at the five now you know Zizic is someone we haven't mentioned yet but he, he at least maybe can come in and knock some heads on the second unit every once in a while Channing if they're going to start love at center if if he and Thompson are going to be really the two they're only going to play one big at a time and mm-hmm. then, so now they've got some more depth at center with Jeff Green I mean he's not an amazing player but someone who at least can be a, a decent rotation guy during the regular season now actually when LeBron James rests I think they're in better position to be decent especially if and when Isaiah comes back uh to actually compete in that it's not just going to be an automatic loss every time LeBron James sits out and I think that uh, can help them all stay fresher uh what about the weaknesses we talked about rim protection obviously being one uh, but do any other pop out at you at all I think it, it has to start defensively. Everything with this team in terms of weaknesses, it, it has to start defensively. And I think the other thing is um, there is an unquantifiable impact that Kyrie Irving had on opposing defenses. Um, and, and I just don't know how they replace it. I remember having a conversation, Nate, with one of the assistant coaches last year. It was after game two of the NBA Finals. And in the first two games, Clay Thompson was kind of up and down from an offense standpoint. Defensively, he was trying to slow down Kyrie. So I said to one of the coaches, I said, you guys doing anything specific against Clay Thompson? And he looked at me and he said, Chris, we can't. <laughs> we have to commit so, atten- so much attention to Steph Curry and we have to focus so much on Kevin Durant. We-, we can't afford to with Clay. So no, we're not doing anything. But his theory was Clay was so gassed and he was so exhausted and he expended so much energy just trying to contain Kyrie for the entire game uh, that it was affecting his offense. And the Cavs felt like the same thing happened in the Eastern Conference Finals 
finals against Boston and Avery Bradley. Uh, offensively, he was coming up short on his shot, and he just wasn't giving Boston what they had gotten from Bradley throughout the course of the playoffs up until that point. And the coaches felt like it's because he was trying to hang with Kyrie, and Kyrie, just defending Kyrie, took so much out of Avery Bradley, and he just didn't have the energy to be as effective offensively. And that's the kind of impact that Kyrie has every single time he takes the court. And as much as the Cavs are raving about Derrick Rose, not that same guy. And as much as the Cavs like Kevin Love and the things that he does now with with being at center and spacing the court and being able to knock down those three-pointers consistently, he doesn't have that same impact. You go from two dudes who have that impact on a defense in LeBron and Kyrie to now one. And I just don't know how you replace that. And I don't know necessarily where, if at all, that will show up. But but it's something that, that I think gave opponents headache every single time they played the Cavs. Uh, and then the, the biggest weakness, as we talked about, Nate, it, it, it's defensively. I mean, Derrick Rose, in terms of point guards, is one of the yeah. worst defenders at, in the at NBA. At the point of attack. Yeah. At the point of and attack. And that was a problem too. last like year, Wade, too, Nate. Yeah. Thomas, yep. uh, Kyle Korver is, yep. he'll, he tries hard and he executes, but he's, you know, completely inadequate trying to stop anyone on the perimeter. I mean, at some so, point, yeah, they got issues. At some point, it puts a lot of pressure on your defense to have to cover up for multiple guys. Maybe you cover up for one, but if you have to cover up for multiple guys, that puts a lot of pressure on Tristan Thompson, LeBron. So uh, point of attack defense was an issue for them last year, and I don't know that they solved that with anything. Yeah, and Kyrie, it's going to be real interesting, right? Because the advanced stats that I know you, you pay attention to, they're not the be-all, end-all, but those would say that they really Kyrie didn't really help them all that much overall. And, you know, we know what their record was when Kyrie played and LeBron didn't. You know, he's, I think he helped offensively, according to those stats, but defensively it was a, a bit of a sieve. So I, I, my theory is that, especially now that they have some other guys who can play make a little bit, mm-hmm. as long as they don't try to play Wade and Rose together too much, mm-hmm. and, and as long as they maintain these lineups that have enough spacing, yep. you know, LeBron plus spacing, especially against pretty much any team in the regular season, any team that isn't the Golden State Warriors, frankly, uh, or maybe San Antonio, uh, they're still going to score great anyway. You know, I mean, when, when he would play with without Kyrie, you know, they didn't really miss too much of a beat. So I, I think they're going to be okay there, but it'll be interesting to see me if they're not, you know, maybe that'll be a big part of the reason. As long as they don't strangle themselves by playing Wade and Rose together and then at maybe playing Tristan Thompson with them as well, I think that yep. they'll be all right. And that's, well, Lou, you know, I, I think is a very interesting figure as a coach and trying to evaluate him is very interesting. I do think one thing that he realizes is, you know, you have to have enough spacing on yep. the floor. Like that is one of the gods that he really seems to worship. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think uh, this, this season will tell a lot, Nate, about what is Ty Lu, what kinds of coaching chops does he have, um, because he's really going to have to coach more so than he had to in the last couple of years. Now, in the postseason, he was always looked at as a postseason coach who was able to implement schemes and, and do some different things, uh, both offensively and defensively. His nickname around um, the Cavs is A Ty O because he's very, very, right. very chesty about his after timeout plays. Um, and he runs some really good ones, some successful ones. Um, and some other coaches have actually taken some from Ty because of how successful they were with the Cavs. Um, but but I think we're going to learn a lot about Ty, Ty in terms of how does he handle minutes, how does he handle this rotation, how does he handle different lineup combinations, and how does he handle the fact that you know he lost his second leading scorer in Kyrie, a guy who you could just put the ball in the hands of and he could create something out of nothing. So a few other things that I think will be weaknesses real quickly here before we, we move to the predictions uh, and strengths too. One thing that they really do well is not fouling. LeBron James and Kevin Love are two like 
really good low foul players in the front court. Thompson is not a huge foul guy either. Um, you know, so I think that defensively they can kind of limit the damage by not fouling too much. Sometimes it's because they're not even close enough to foul them. <laughs> that's that's part of it. And then uh in terms of weaknesses though, forcing turnovers, not something that they've right. been they were 29th in the league in forcing turnovers last year, especially LeBron as he's gotten older, doesn't really do much of that anymore. Crowder is an okay hands guy, but still they're not gonna be anywhere close to the league. They don't really pressure up that much on the perimeter either. And then rebounding. This is a team with you know Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson are great rebounders individually, but if those two guys are really never going to be playing together now, they were uh, 22nd in defensive rebound percentage and 20th in offensive rebound percentage last year. And I, especially if Love is going to be spacing the floor more on offense now, uh, any lineups when they don't have Thompson in, you imagine, are not going to be great rebounding units. Not that I think that's necessarily going to matter. Yeah, it probably won't matter. Um, but I think uh, part of the reason why their offense was, was so good at times is because they did get those second chance opportunities, Nate, with Tristan Thompson bringing those down. And it's so tough to stop a team loaded with this much talent once. And then you could just sense a defense being like, oh, gosh, now we got to stop them again and maybe a third time because of that reset. Um, so I think Tristan Thompson, the kind of impact that he can have uh, from a psychological standpoint on, on the opposing team, I think that's going to be missed by the Cavs um, if his minutes are a little bit less than what they have been in the past and if he can't get comfortable with that new look second unit. Yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see where they are at the end of the year, too. I mean, maybe by the end of the year, they're starting Love and Thompson in the front yeah. court, and it's Crowder and LeBron and Isaiah Thomas. You know, maybe that's what their starting lineup is, and that's a, a unit that could have some more size and some more switchability, perhaps. But they, there are a lot of ways that Ty Lue can go at this point. All right, let's get to our specific predictions here for the Cavaliers. I actually think with the depth that they have, that they might be a little bit better, perhaps, than people think. I've been thinking about this more. We did their prediction. Their over-under was 53 and a half. Danny and I both took the under. That was before the Dwayne Wade signing, um, but also before we knew for sure that Thomas was going to be out until January. So, I, you know, I'm a little torn. I think that they, I like them still to get the number one seed. I think they're the favorites. I'm going to go with 53 wins for this group, but I think if I had to pick, a lot of that's just because I think they're not going to try that hard in the regular season, that they're going to rest guys a lot. You know, I think actually that they have significantly more upside than downside off of that. It's so interesting that that's that number because I think that's right on the money. Really good with that over under a 53 and a half. And I, I would take the over slightly. I can see 55 wins yeah. from this team. And because of the reasons that you mentioned, Nate, they are deeper. So that's going to make them better in the regular season. Um, if you remember last year, they missed J.R. Smith for a chunk. They missed Kevin Love for a chunk. Um, at least for right now, they're going in season healthy and deeper than they were last year and I think um, they're going to have to figure some things out early on in the season and try and get that chemistry uh, that they had last year Um, but I think they are going to try a little bit harder in the regular season because I think they felt like the bad habits contributed to the finals loss and they don't want that to happen again Um, so I'll take 55 wins for the Cavs this year and they get the one seed in the yeah I think that Boston having a a higher over under than them was uh, something that I was a little bit skeptical of Mm -hmm. here uh what about best case scenario i'll go first i think it's 60 i mean any team with lebron james they can get there uh they have not gotten close to that number in the lebron the second lebron james era but there are enough guys and they have enough depth now that maybe you know they aren't going to just be punting games when guys rest or you know the their second unit can get them back into it uh and and maybe you know the they'll be more effective when lebron is sitting because Kyrie was never really able
able to pilot those units successfully. And I don't know how much he's going to be sitting this year either, Nate, because talk about the new rules in the NBA and the fines that could be implemented. I think that's something that the Cavs are going to have to navigate too. And of course, there are ways around that. You can trick the system anytime. Oh yeah, of course. Um, but but that might be something to consider with the Cavs as well. And I think they're they're stealing. I think it all depends on how good the other teams in the Eastern Conference are. Is Washington going to push them? Is Toronto going to push them? Boston going to push them to make them feel like one we have to play harder and two uh, we want this number one seed and we want home court advantage throughout the course of the Eastern Conference playoffs so you know if Boston um, gets off to a great start and they start putting pressure on the Cavs maybe it's a little bit different but but I think part of the reason why the Cavs win total since LeBron came back um, in 2014 hasn't been as high as some people would think number one they were trying to get used to each other a lot of new players the same case this year as well Um, but number two they didn't have to pile up wins the way that Golden State does to hold off San Antonio and maybe Oklahoma City and Houston yeah and also uh, they shut it down at the end when they still potentially could have had a court advantage last season Uh, after the those inexplicable losses to Atlanta kind of took them out of getting the number one seed which they probably should have gotten even with all their other issues last season Uh, but yeah so what do you see what do you see as the best case scenario then you're you're gonna say like high 50s yeah I think it's high 50s I would be surprised to see them get 60 though yeah no I mean that does seem unlikely but with the talent they have I think it's possible especially if they're able here's a quick question for you what do you think they rank in offense and defense this year but by points per possession I think offense they're going to be top five is that good enough or do I have to put a better number on it (laughs) no no that's I mean that's yeah Yeah. no no that's good I mean I think I think they even you know number I I think they uh and Houston and Golden State are the three that really are up there Denver maybe too yeah although they don't have as much raw talent um but those three are are the three most talented offensive teams you know i would i would be shocked and maybe again you know if they don't use guys right and the spacing just gets choked off maybe it could get a little lower but yeah hard to imagine that it falls out of the top five and i think defensively man, i have such a hard time putting them in the top half of the nba i really do um they have a few too many defensive liabilities and i think the rim protection is certainly going to be an issue i mean the numbers show it uh, when they played kevin love at center in the regular season and in the postseason um especially in the regular season i mean it was a defense that um, was right there in the conversation with like the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets and that's not the conversation that you want to be in when you're talking about defense so I think that's going to be a legitimate issue with the Cavs and I find it hard to believe that they're going to be top 15 even though I love the addition of Jake Crowder from a defensive standpoint from a toughness standpoint um, I just I just overall I don't think this is a very very good defensive team because I don't think they have enough great defensive players yeah that's true I mean Rose Wade both look like massive liabilities right. Isaiah looks like a massive liability Kevin Love uh underrated in some ways I mean I think he's not that bad against a lot of teams you know the best teams maybe who are really gonna make him defend out in space it's a little different but you know I think you can't say he's he's probably below average regular season LeBron frankly is probably below average at this point is he how hard is he gonna try they take a lot of their cues defensively from him so you're putting a lot on you know Jay Crowder Tristan Thompson probably the only two guys you look at in their main part of the rotation in the regular season who are quality defensive players so yeah I mean I mean, I think that's where it is going to maybe fall apart for these guys you know I think they're 22nd overall in defense last year I think they'll be a little bit better than that uh but you know I think you know 17 18 would be about where I'd see them it's funny too Nate because I have so many conversations with Cavs fans all the time and they just don't understand how great the Warriors are defensively and I said and just look at the obvious Draymond Green's a great defensive player Clay Thompson is a great defensive player 
player, two-way player, maybe maybe the best two-way player at his position in the NBA. Um, and then Kevin Durant can be a great defensive player. So when when you take all of those things into account, Andre Iguodala coming off the bench, like you have to have great players be a great defense. And there's only so many schemes that you can come up with to cover up wards. And, and Ty Lue tries all the time, especially in the playoffs. But at some point, like, do you have the Jimmys and the Joes to be a great defensive team? And I just, I think the Cavs have focused too much of their attention um, on offensive-minded additions in the last three years. And you see that more and more and more with how much they play. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't care for the Corver trade for that reason. I felt that they really could have gone in another direction there. But, uh, you know, I mean, like, getting all these offensive guys works great in the Eastern Conference yeah, playoffs. sure. And, and it might work great. It might work great against any other team in the NBA, except for maybe Golden State is the one team where you just can't hide these guys. Uh, you know, Kevin Love has been fine defensively against any other yep. opponent that they've played in the playoffs these last few years. Um, so, uh, all right, yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, I would say, you know, 49 wins maybe. You know, uh, near uh, LeBron never gets hurt, so it'd be <laughs> really difficult to imagine them falling below there. I, I'd be right there with you on that number. I think that's a good number. I mean, and, and it was just, it was insane that they won 51 games last year, right? Like, it, it really, the fact that they had that stretch, like a three-month stretch where they were playing 500 ball, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I just, I would be very surprised if that happened again. It's really hard to imagine that they could just have that kind of a malaise, especially with the new blood here as well, not coming off a championship hangover now. So I think that's, uh, and also I think it's somewhat instructive to know that Kyrie, I mean, even at points last year, the thought that he might have wanted out of there might have been brewing, and I'm sure that affected his effort level, at least during the regular season. And they had a brutal march, absolutely a brutal march, and it's not to make excuses because teams around the NBA had terrible uh, stretches with back-to-backs and four games and five nights and road trips and things like that. But I think with the schedule being spread out and the elimination of a lot of those things that the Cavs had to deal with in March because they couldn't practice, uh, because they were sitting guys, um, and the way that the schedule is set up this year, they're probably not going to have another one of those kinds of months, and I think that's going to help them, especially with an older team. All right, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's true. The the schedule being a little easier will help them. Uh, all right, well, Chris, let everyone know where they can follow your work on, on the Cavs throughout the season. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Fedor. My first name, uh, my last name combined. Nice and uh, easy for people. Very creative, if I do say so myself. And then uh, <laughs> you can follow all my stuff online, cleveland.com slash Cavs. All right, th- thanks again to Chris for coming on. Don't forget our sponsors today. If you want to drive for Lyft, lyft.com slash Capspace. You can get up to a $500 new driver bonus. And then Helix Sleep, get yourself a custom-made mattress, helixsleep.com slash Capspace is that URL. You get $50 off. And of course, support the program and let them know that you came from us. We'll be back with more tomorrow. Till then.